the times have changed. Uh, I think 10 years ago, this wouldn't even be possible because people are so brand loyalists to whatever they buy consistently. So, but just the way fashion has moved, I think people are a lot uh, more, you know, open-minded when it comes to wearing brands that they don't know of, as long as they like the item that they're purchasing. So I think it created a, a avenue to where people like me and other people have um, been able to create some sort of a niche within a bigger niche, which is the sneaker community. Hello, I'm Red. And I'm Tiff. And we're, and we're the, the Fashion, fashion geeks. geeks. Trying to make New York. And the world. Well, New York is the world. A little flyer, one outfit. And podcast. At a time. When I was a little kid, I had one pair of sneakers. I wore shoes every day. They were for the gym. If you didn't have a popular brand, you were done for. They would call them Skippies. Skips. They make your feet feel fine, Skips. They cost $1.99. It was the worst. The fact is, if you didn't have a popular brand, you weren't cool. Now, you're an adult. There's a bunch of popular brands led by Nike, who's the daddy of them all. So here's the question. Would you buy a sneaker of an unknown brand? Subculture? An underground brand? Because if you're willing to pay for bespoke and made-to-measure clothing, would you do the same for your sneaker? Yo, this is Reg Ferguson, fashion geek number one. How are you? Welcome to the ride. Thank you so much for listening. Please tell your friends about us and share our episode with them. Also, please tell them to subscribe. Please give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Because when you do all those things, it helps us grow the show. And it helps our rating on Apple. A special shout goes to our producer, Search, and everyone down with the Fashion Geeks. If you wake up in the morning and don't know what to wear or don't know how to coordinate an outfit without somebody else's input, who maybe is a family member, then you probably need my help. Let me improve your look. Email me at reg at nyfashiongeek.com for a consultation. And if you have a story suggestion, you can email me at podcast at nyfashiongeek.com or hit me up on the Insta at New York Fashion Geek. Today, we're going to talk with King Sean Royale, who is in North Carolina, a.k.a. North Kakalaka. And we're going to talk about something that the everyday man certainly should have in their wardrobe. We're going to talk about custom sneaker brands. King Sean in the building. What's How are you, good? man? What's good? Hey, man, I'm happy to have you on here. We've been talking about this for a minute. Yeah, man, it's been a long time coming. I'm just glad we uh, was able to get everything together to make sure it happened. Absolutely. Absolutely. So before we go into our topic, please tell us. So what do you do? So what do you do? You do. What don't I do? That's the real question. <laughs> That's the real question. Um, I'm a graphic designer, clothing designer, shoe manufacturer. Um, I also recently just got a record deal with Empire Records. So I'm a recording artist. 
So I do a little bit of everything. Um, I mix and master on my own music, engineer. So just a little bit of everything for the most gotcha. part. Gotcha. So for the listeners, our little background story is I met you on Clubhouse. Right. So as a lot of the listeners have known, over the past month or so, I've been hot on Clubhouse. I go into a lot of rooms. I've created my own club, Classic Menswear Club. But I was checking out because I'm a member of Sneakerheads Anonymous, mm-hmm. and you were one of the moderators. Right. And you're telling everybody that you have a sneaker brand. And I'm here to tell you, as an OG who last was a sneakerhead in high school, mm-hmm. I was totally, I was mesmerized. Right. Because I had no idea that individuals like yourself were creating their own sneaker brands. That's not something I grew up with. Yeah. um, The times have changed. Uh, I think 10 years ago, this wouldn't even be possible because people are so brand loyalists to whatever they buy consistently. So, but just the way fashion has moved, I think people are a lot uh, more, you know, open-minded when it comes to wearing brands that they don't know of as long as they like the item that they're purchasing. So I think it created a, a avenue to where people like me and other people have um, been able to create some sort of a niche within a bigger niche, which is the sneaker community. So essentially what you're saying is there is an outcry for people to hear a different story. Essentially, yeah, because, uh, you know, due to like botting and we'll talk about, you know, all that shit um, moving forward. But yeah, like, I definitely due, want to. Due to botting and, and resellers, I think it's a lot harder for people to get the sneakers that they want. Um, I resell as well, too. So I know both sides. Um, and because they're not able to buy something that they want at a price that they can afford, They'll look for alternative, and I think that's where brands like my brand and other brands are kind of a void for that particular market. So what, you know, you're a multi-hyphenate. You made that extremely clear. Right. What led you to launch a sneaker brand? Um, Because I was in the sneaker culture before. Like I said, I've always been into sneakers. I'm 33. Um, I've been into sneaker culture since I was 14, 15 years old and always, you know, tried to buy the newest and the latest and the most limited stuff. I got a job in high school just to afford things because, you know, my mom was not buying no two hundred, $150 <laughs> sneakers. Right. Um, so I kind of took my destiny in my own hands and um, was able to kind of break into the culture. Um, but that was when you could just literally stand in line and get a sneaker. It's not like that anymore. You know, everything is raffled and draws and different shit like that. And it deterred a lot of people in the sneaker game. It actually deterred me for a little while. I really stopped like focusing on that. And, um, but just my love for just fashion and sneakers, man, is, uh, just, made me do the research and and figure out how I can really make this happen. And with me being a graphic designer for almost 15, 16 years now, 
it was a lot easy for a lot easier for me to design something, get it to my factory in China and produce an actual physical garment. So you hit on something, right? We're we're in the good old US of A and you immediately mentioned that, hey, your supply is in China. Right. So we know in the previous presidential administration there was this veiled attempt at trying to keep manufacturing back in America because it's right. really been gone for decades. Exactly. So my point is, did you, just out of curiosity, did you even consider or attempt to consider trying to do this domestically? Hell no. And the reason why... <laughs> yeah, please explain. Is because uh, due to the pricing that you can get stuff made over there and the quality and the time that it could take, America wouldn't even be uh, an affordable option for what I'm doing. And a lot of the things, so I took a classic silhouette and I basically did my thing on it. So they already have those molds. And, you know, a lot of uh, the shoes that we buy in America are not made in America. Correct. From the biggest brands, Nike, Adidas. Uh, only thing, only brand that's made in America is New Balance. New Balance, right, in so, mass. Um, so, yeah, so you're already ordering from China anyway when you go to your local Foot Locker, Foot Action or whatever. So I'm not going to try to reinvent the wheel. I'm just going to make it work for me. And that's what I did. Makes sense. So you hit on something. And I remember when you were on that clubhouse, I immediately went on your gram. You decided to base your sneaker on the dunk silhouette. Right. And for me, there's a great deal of romanticism because I'm the first generation of dunk. Right. I had Kentucky dunks. Absolutely. I remember that summer. That okay. was an incredible summer. Me and my best friend, who's still my best friend of all time, though we're not really in contact any longer, we both got dunks. I convinced him. We both got Kentucky dunks. Mm -hmm. If you ask me, it was the best summer of my life. If you ask him, it was the worst summer of his life. <laughs> oh, wow. All because of a sneaker, huh? Right. Because to me, he and I buying literally the same sneaker, it was like we were brothers. Right. Created and a bond. Exactly. And for him, he was like, oh, my God, everyone's asking us why we did this. Right. Like a million times every day. <laughs> I hate this. Yeah. So why did you choose the Dunk Silhouette? I chose the Dunk Silhouette because it's my favorite sneaker of all time. And I actually skateboard. I really skate. And that's what the shoe is designed for, for skaters. So... I wanted to do my first shoot to be authentic to me. So that's the reason why I chose that. And I think it just, it just looks good. Uh, the silhouette just looks good to me. It's classic. Um, and also due to the uh, resurgence of dunks, because dunks actually took a little nosedive in the community for a couple of years, but Yep. Now they are one of the most sought after shoes in the sneaker community. So it just makes sense because a lot of people can't get them or can't afford them from Nike to create a similar product, but be able to put my own interpretation on that particular product that they're already buying. And to be clear, particularly for the listener, before the dunk became a SB, it was a hoop shoe. Exactly. It was NCAA D1, uh, particularly yeah, the, big, particularly the first biggies. five, I think, 
yes. dunks were college dunks. Yes. Uh, they were made for college basketball. I believe it was like Michigan. Um, yep. Fuck, I can't even think of the rest of them. But, yeah, they were D1 basketball shoes. But um, they – so Nike was trying to get in, uh, skateboarding because, you know, of the success of like Tony Hawk and other – um, skateboarding brands and all the skateboarders were basically skating in Jordan ones at the time. Oh, and Jordan ones are similar to a dunk as far as aesthetic and silhouette. So Nike took that information and basically worked with, I, I forgot what particular skater was, but he was like one of the first people that signed the Nike SB. And he was like, what do you want to skate in? And he said, well, I skate in, fucking Jordan ones. So that's when they just, you know, made some minor changes and created the dunk um, for the skateboarding community. I did not know that. I believe the individual you're talking about, I think his last name is Janikowski. I think yeah. don't quote me. So Janikowski was one of the first ones. I don't know if he was the first, but he was oh, one of okay. the first okay. uh, uh, initial uh, riders for SB. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's basically what happened, and everybody gravitated towards it, and that's why they made the fat tongue, because the fat tongue is just for skateboarders, because when you, you, like, when you fall or when you scrape your foot, it, a lot of it will come on that top part where the laces will be. Um, so they wanted to make that, like, extra comfortable, and, um, you know, it's a flat surface, so it allows you to give the board a little bit more pop. Um, yeah. So it's just a number of things that were integrated in to the SB, which made it as popular as it was. Do you think it also didn't hurt that Virgil and off white decided to revitalize the dunk as well? Uh, so I got kind of hot takes on Virgil. I, I'm a fan, but I think he's, uh, I think he's a shoe customizer more than a designer. And why I say that is because he hasn't really created anything new. He's just been given classic silhouettes that we already like and say, put some colors or distress them or, you know, put your interpretation. I don't think he's no more than what people, uh, are doing as far as, you know, the industry that I'm in with customizing their own, you know, sneakers. I don't, I think anybody could have had that opportunity and could have succeeded because Nike is like one of the top brands and you're basically giving him shoes that people already like. And Off-White does have a name to a certain extent, but people are not really buying Off-White sneakers. They buy Nike Off-Whites. You know what I'm saying? Because they're already familiar mm -hmm. with the brand of Nike. So I think that's more where he got his popularity at. And that's why people liked his shit a lot more. Um, but I don't really think he's a shoe designer. I think he's a customizer. So he just got an opportunity with one of the biggest brands. And he made an impact on culture um, that way. Um, because I don't see people really wearing just straight off white sneakers. Hmm. Do you feel, regardless of your hot take, and I'm sure you have more, do you feel that he has led the dunk 
to have such a high price point right now in resale? Hell no. Um, I think the, uh, the person, the, I think the most iconic dunk, um, of all time, in my opinion, that changed the culture is when, um, Nikki Diamond released the Diamond Dunk. Um, I think that really set the market, um, because I think that was one of the first big collaborations that incorporated the real authentic skateboard culture into, uh, the Ashby brand. Um, and, um, I think that's what really set the resale market because, uh, that kind of, that shoe was so sought after because of the collaboration with diamond. And, um, I think that kind of really set the thing. And then, then you had like the Supreme dunk and then you had, you know, several other companies that did collab. I think collabs is what really pushed the market up. So, um, yeah, that's pretty much where I think, uh, where dunk became the resale that it had. Um, and I think it kind of lost some of its luster when, you know, people were doing Air Force, Air Force Ones and um, shit like that. So, I, and then the popularity of Jordan as well. But because, uh, you know, who who really gave the dunk energy again? I think fucking Travis Scott and fucking Kylie Jenner is what made the dunk popular again. Because really? They're, they're like the trendsetters of fashion right now. And everybody in culture really looks to them to see what's going on. You know, anytime Travis puts out a shoe, it's in high demand, regardless of what it looks like. So because he's made so many big plays with the Fortnite shit, with McDonald's, you know what I mean? Salute to his team for definitely putting him in position to make those big time plays. And uh, I think that's kind of what created, you know, the hype with Dunks again. So you said something earlier that I'd like you to elaborate, and maybe you'll include Travis in this. You highlighted two roles, customizer versus designer. Mm -hmm. So I'd like you to elaborate, particularly for the audience, because I know it's something you take for granted. And candidly, it's something I'd like to be illuminated on. What Um, is the difference? A customizer to me is when you take an actual, say, for instance, if you take a Nike shoe that already existed in the world that you could buy in a store and you change it out, whether it's paint or fabrics or, you know, shit like that. But a designer is a person that actually takes raw materials and creates something, whether if it's uh, a silhouette that already exists or not, but you're taking raw materials and you're creating a whole new shoe um, to really, um, you know, push the needle or a different interpretation on something. So essentially you can say that uh, fucking Virgil is a designer, but I just think, I think, I I just think anybody could have did what he did as far as in respect of just taking something that already exists because it's authorized by Nike. They literally gave him shoes and said, do what you please and do it. And I think that's what customizers do. They just, taking a, a different shoe and add a theme or add fabrics or add something that's different from the original. A designer is more somebody who uh, can create a whole new silhouette and a whole nother 
way of thinking or like even changing the Zethan silhouette to where it doesn't resemble um doesn't resemble the original um that was put out and authorized by Nike. So let's get back to you. You clearly put yourself in the latter category, correct? As far as what? As far as your sneaker, you consider yourself a designer. Uh yeah. So explain to me what it took for you to have this vision for this brand all the way through conception. Uh, well, I was at the time I was working at a restaurant. I'm a chef too. So, um, I was working at a restaurant and, um, previous, like growing up college years, I worked for myself majority of the time that I've ever had any type of employment. I was a party promoter. So I was always on the scene. Um, and I drew a lot of connections in the music industry because I did parties and stuff. And I was always into fashion. My first brand was called Scratch. And I made that when I was 18. Um, and through like high school, I was always taking clothes and you know, altering them and putting my own spin on them because, like I said, my mom wasn't one of them people who really put value in clothing. She gave mm. me other opportunities as far as, like, I was able to travel with Europe when I was in second grade because I was a student ambassador. And um, I went over there for, like, 21 days. So that kind of really gave me my entrepreneurial spirit, just uh, allowed me to understand that... Um, life is bigger than the area in which you live in. Uh, so that's kind of what gave me the push to always say, I want to make my own money. So um, I did the party thing for a couple of years. Well, shit, almost 15 years. And throughout that, I was still designing and making clothes and getting them on celebrities and shit like that. And then, um, I learned how to graphic design by myself out of necessity because I didn't want to pay people for my party flyers. And that's when I picked up <laughs> Photoshop. And um, so I was doing that. I was doing pretty well. I did a couple things for like Reebok. I did a couple things for like local restaurants and nightclubs and shit like that. Just graphic design work, maintaining, well, still maintaining like my brand. And um, I had went to agenda i believe 2013 um agenda and magic is like a big trade show in vegas that uh that you go to as a designer or a brand and you uh you can get like a table and then you have buyers from like major retailers dtlr jimmy jazz macy's tj Maxx, uh all these other stores they come out and they look for your shit and then what if they see they like it, they'll write you a purchase order. And basically what a purchase order is, it's just saying that they want X amount of products at this price delivered by this time. And um, so I, I was out there and I didn't actually even have a booth. I just went out there to, just to check it out. And I uh, came across French Montana's line called Coke Boys. And uh, they approached me because I had this process called sublimation and basically what sublimation is is taking a polyester fabric and dyeing the ink into the fabric so it doesn't fade mm. um, so you that's kind of how um 
like you have printing cotton. It's kind of like the same process and shit like that, like for like sheets or like jerseys or, you know, anything that has any sort of poly into it, you can dye. And then you can kind of create an all over print. So you don't have to have the same pitfalls of a traditional screen printing where you have to separate colors and every color is a screen. It's literally, you can put photo quality images with sublimation. And I had that process before anybody. And when I went to the show, a lot of people were asking me about it. And like I said, I ran across French Montana's booth. They liked what I was doing. They offered me a position at the company. Um, at the time I was in school, I had like one class left to graduate, but it was during the summer, but I had to leave that summer. So I said, fuck school. And I just went and worked for them um, for like two, three years. I made them like 1.6 million. Uh, I was supposed to be brought in as a partner. That shit didn't work out. I was on an hourly wage and the hourly wage wasn't justifying the time that I was putting into it. So I just fucking left. I fucking left the situation. Uh, at the time I had a kid and I came home for Thanksgiving and see my kid and I never fucking went back. So. That's kind of what happened. There's no fucking bad blood. It's just they was fucking playing with my talent, and I was making them too much money for me to sit around. Gotcha. So, again, as this was happening, what led to that thunderclap of inspiration to go, yo, I'm going to do a sneaker? Um, fucking 10 failed brands. And I wouldn't say failed because everyone's a opportunity. I continued to generate brands um, and they were doing okay, but my personality is kind of super aggressive and sometimes demanding and a lot of people may not like me or I might not be their cup of tea. So that kind of got in the way of, of business sometimes and uh, you know, people would like my shit, but they wouldn't like me as a person. So what I learned is that I kind of got to hide behind my brand and not really put my face out there. Uh, so I was in the music industry. I was in 2019. I was on tour with French again, uh, Wiz Khalifa, Moneybag Yo, uh, Playboy Cardi. Uh, for the music, I was uh, an artist and I was managing another artist. I got into a little situation, had to do a little time. And when I came out, I had got that job and I just knew that it wasn't something that I wanted to make my career. So my business partner had posted something on the page in regards to a line that he's been working on shit basically his whole fucking life. And I, I seen some potential and I was like, it looks, it looks decent, but it doesn't look good as far as from a design aspect. I like the concept, but I know I could make it better. I just hit him up and was like, bro, let me help you. And he's already, he knows my design things because I used to do his mixtape covers and shit like that. And cause he's an artist as well. And um, I've known his father for about shit, 10 years. Cause he had a retail space in North Carolina, a skate shop. And I used to always buy from them. And um, my company that I was working for with French, we actually sold to his dad's store. So it was like a lot of shit in common and, you know, that was just my friend and I seemed like he had a good idea, but I just think his execution wasn't the best. 
and I knew that I could um, help him on that. So I redesigned the logo December 2nd, 2020. And literally in three months later, we was five figures in sales. So for the listener, describe the logo. All right. So the brand is called FWTC. And what's that uh, stands for is Fly with the Colony. And the colony, um, if you know anything about, you know, animals and shit, um, bats fly in the colony and they live in the colony. And they basically uh, help each other out, succeed in life and, you know, prosper. And we kind of wanted to take that that energy and put it into clothing because a lot of people who wear our stuff are entrepreneurs or people chasing a dream. So we wanted to make everybody a part of a, a group that had like minds. And we feel like if you purchase our clothes, you're part of the colony and we're going to support you in anything you have to do too. So that's kind of where we came up with the, uh, the brand and the branding and, uh, that's the reason why the logo is a bat. And currently, your first sneaker that came out, it's literally it's literally labeled after one of the bats. Yeah, so Lazarus, correct? Yeah, the, the Lazarus, the Lazarus, because um, the Lazarus is a red bat, and our first shoe was like a flip on the Travis Scott um, SB. Um, he did like a blue bandana. But we did red and we did like a proprietary um, uh, like wool pattern, um, like almost like a uh, lumberjack pattern, similar to what he did. But I designed that shit 100% by myself. And so we own that particular plaid as well. So we incorporated that. And yeah, it just took off. Uh, That's it pretty much. So what I'm really curious about, and we talked about this offline once, and I know the listener is going to be just as interested as I, how does one create a sneaker brand based on an existing silhouette, in this case, the dunk without Nike knocking on your door every waking moment? Well, if you know anything about graphic design, if you change something 30%, then you're cool. Um, what Nike is trying to do to combat people like me from making similar products to their product now um, is that they're trying to basically patent and trademark panel to panel. So say, for instance, if you have a top panel that connects to panel C, then you're going to be infringing because they're trying to basically deconstruct the shoe and trademark every part. But um, I don't I don't really see them being able to get away with that because like I told you in the um, in the panel that we had did, uh, there was a company named Young's and I don't know if anybody the listeners are familiar with that. It was a uh, it was around the time where Bates and Greedy Genius were making similar uh, products to the Air Force Ones. They actually fought Nike because most companies, when they get a cease and desist or any type of lawsuit, they just die down because fucking Nike's lawyers are crazy and they'll try to fucking scare tactic you into folding. 
uh, and they feel like, well, we got all the money and we'll just tie you up in litigation. So you'll just wind up caving. Uh, but this particular company didn't. And they proved that uh, most of these patents on these particular shoes were made 30 plus years ago. And if anybody knows anything about patents, patents have a lifespan. Um, so once the lifespan is up, they don't own the patent anymore. And that's what happened with the Air Force One and the Dump. And that's why you see so many of these um, things popping up. But where a lot of people go wrong is they don't change enough. They still try to incorporate um, the swoosh in their design. And they say terminology like dunks and Jordan 1. That's why my shoe, even though it's a dunk silhouette, is a 001. Um, we don't associate anything with anything uh, in regards to Nike. And that's the uh, reason why we haven't had that many issues. And also, we don't do thousands of pairs. We do 100 pairs. So um, we keep our quantity down, and we don't use the terminology to get in anybody's way. So, And we change 30% of the shoe. So um, that's, that's how you stay out of the fire. Nike. <laughs> so essentially with with the issues of panels they're trying to essentially make panels intellectual property is that correct right but which, i don't mm-hmm. i don't think that they're going to be able to pass that because you can't copyright shit that you can't copyright a fucking shape or trademark a shape you know what i'm saying so i don't i don't know how that's going to go maybe they got the lawyers didn't figure it out, but I don't think so. And from what I was hearing, and we talked about this as well in the panel, that they're trying to do that so they can give more opportunities for people like me to, um, I don't know, like partner with them or some shit like that. I think it's bullshit, but, you know, that's what the talks is, to bring in more independent designers. Um, but my thing is you already have independent designers doing their own thing, why won't you just reach out to them and just like cut the bullshit because people are going to do it regardless. So Mm -hmm. if you feel like you want to make money off our designs then give us a deal. But me personally, I wouldn't take no deal with Nike because I could tell, I was about to say in my head, I'm like, you would not do that. I wouldn't take no deal with Nike because I want to be able to be, be able to do anything I want to do as far as, I don't want to have to ask 10 people to make one decision and right. that's how it is in Nike. Uh, I don't think people under understand, like there's not one designer on a shoe at Nike. There's like 10 designers. And I have friends that actually work at Nike and um, there's like colorists. There's people who only work on materials. There's people only work in technology. There's people that only work on um, uh, of the actual design itself. So, it's a lot of different shit um, that I think a lot of people are uneducated on that goes behind the shoe. And most of the shoes that you're wearing were designed and manufactured two to three years ago. Um, really? So a lot of the stuff that comes out was already in conception or just the thought of two, three years ago. So that's why you have an issue to where when you have an issue with something that they come out with, that was our design years ago. So you're just getting it now and it's hard for them to pivot 
when things um, go wrong. Mm. Right, because they're not nimble. I mean, how can right. they be? <laughs> well, me, I can design a shoe in less than a day, send it to my supplier and have a sample back in two weeks, you know? so Wow. That's the reason I would never work for Nike. It's too many fucking hands in the pot. <laughs> Understood. And you said, which I guess is a testament to your nimbleness, meaning that, you know, you don't have thousands and thousands of people, that you literally have hundreds of different materials and colorways in the chamber, correct? Yeah, I have, uh, of the 002 in particular, I have uh, almost 250 colorways already designed, and I did that in the course of a month and a half. So when I used to get off my job, I used to come design uh, five to ten colorways a night. Wow. Sheesh. Just because, I mean, that's, I love to do this. This is really my passion. And now it's became my full-time career. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's really nothing for me. It doesn't take me long at all. Cause I mean, it only took, it only takes long to do the first one. Once you do the first one, it's really just swapping colors and shit like that. If you're working on the same model. But I'm actually about to produce a, a whole new model in the next month as well. Something that people have never seen been done before. So super excited about that as well. So I know that's on the low, so I'm not going to probe. But can you, for the listeners, can you detail what the 002s are like versus the 001s? So the 002s are already out. Um, no, I know. Yep. That's the um, that's the Jordan 1 silhouette. Um, but the 003 um, is a runner. Um, so it's switching up traditional. Because most people, there's other companies that do what I do. I'm not the only person that does uh, classic silhouettes like the AJ1 and Dunk. There's so many other companies. It's really like an underground culture that a lot of people don't know about. Right. That's why I'm having you guys on the pod because I find this utterly fascinating. I had no clue, let's say, less than two months ago. Yeah, it's a whole scene. And there's a lot of people that do what I do similar to what I do. Exactly the silhouette where everybody has their own little logo or twist or whatever. But with this particular one, nobody has done this silhouette. So it's definitely going to shake up. The industry, I might get some shit for it, but I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I'm going to do what I want to do, regardless. Yeah, I, uh, I sense that. And yeah. when what's the target release for the 003s? Oh, I don't know, man. We have so many 001s and 002s in the can that 003, honestly, is going to be a personal until we decide when we want to release it. Hmm. So we always wear shit, even when like, so we wear a lot of hoodies um, during the fall when we first created the brand, Uh, but we didn't give our customers access to them because we want uh, to show off the product before we actually release it. So everything that we were wearing Mm -hmm. two seasons ago will be available this coming season. All right. So you're creating your own hype. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, 
just smart. Yeah. And getting, I, yeah, mm-hmm. getting the products out to the influencers as well um, has been very uh, helpful to create the allure of the brand. Can you elaborate on that? Because obviously, as a slightly older cat, you know, understanding influencer marketing, but here you are readily acknowledging that, hey, in order for our pieces to move, there are some strategic partnerships that you deploy. So can you break that down? Um, all right. So we did, uh, we entered a contest with Jack Daniels um, and we did a shoe for Jack Daniels Honey. Um, and the contest was just based on uh, creating a classics, taking a classic silhouette and remixing it with their branding on it. And you had the choice between Excuse me, Jack Daniels Honey and Jack Daniels Apple. Um, I just related more to the honey because of the colors. And when I pulled the colors, I actually pulled the colors straight from the packaging so they match exactly. Um, Mm. But um, the real thing was when you entered the contest, you didn't even have to produce a physical garment. They were just looking for like artwork and shit like that. But we went the extra mile just because we have the ability to to actually produce the shoe um, itself, and then we submitted it. Um, so that was something that we did. Uh, we did a collaboration with uh, Western Front. CBD. A, uh, uh, no, it's a the marijuana dispensary. Yes, yeah, a marijuana um, dispensary in um, in uh, Boston or Chelsea, to be exact, Chelsea, Massachusetts. Um, because they were trying to create a way to basically um, make money with their branding on it other than cannabis. Because I don't know if anybody knows, um, your listeners are aware, uh, cannabis companies, even in legal states, have a lot of trouble with banking. Yes. Uh, it's not federally legal. It's not fed. Right. Right. So a lot of banks won't fuck with them. Right. So, <laughs> right. So you create a product that you can that you won't be taxed as much it's because, you know, cannabis tax is fucking out of this world. Um, but you could still convert customers um, to actually come to your dispensary. Uh, it's definitely a plus for you. Uh, the biggest um, example of that is like the brand Cookies or the brand Runts. They had the popularity of rappers and entertainers that like their products, but they created a whole apparel line that doesn't look like a fucking family reunion cookout shirt like most cannabis brands do. Um, (laughs) And they made it cool. So people were actually wearing the brand in public. So you get a lot more brand notoriety and you're able to put that money in the bank because it's apparel. It's not fucking cannabis. So, um, that's kind of what we explained to them and told them what we could do for them. So we created a limited 420 shoe with them um, that dropped uh, 420 and is doing pretty well. And it has some uh, hip on the actual shoe to signify the cannabis. And uh, yeah, it just turned out pretty good. And uh, that's the latest. And uh, we actually just did a, uh, a photo shoot with Bobby Schreider and some of our stuff. We, uh, Chris Brown, will have a pair of our shoes in the next two weeks. We're working on something with Gunner. 
and um, Young Thug as well. So different opportunities to put our stuff in spaces that people look for those particular people for what they're wearing. And it just brings more awareness to our particular brand. And you've done all this and you essentially launched this brand, correct me if I'm wrong, December? Am I incorrect? December 2nd, 2020. Holy schmoly. <laughs> yeah, we moved a little fast. Uh, understatement. You, mm-hmm. uh, you are a rocket. Yeah. So we're just trying to capitalize on the trajectory of the brand and continue to uh, do meaningful collaborations. Also did a collaboration with this dope artist in New Mexico named Chantel. Um, she is, I met her on Clubhouse, fucking Clubhouse is a gem because it's put me in so many different spaces. Um, and uh, she does like uh, hand-drawn art. And when I seen her work, I was just like, I've never seen something like this before. Mm. And it's super colorful, um, super inviting, super just, just, just dope. And um, I met her and we kicked it off and we did a t-shirt with her. Then we did a lighter with her. Then we're we're in the process. I have a pop up a pop up shop, July third in New Jersey, at Avenue Black, and you can find their on their Instagram. Check out the details. Um, we're going to release a one of ten shoe um, with her and um, the guy you had on your podcast previously, Shoebaker, is going to do the box and. Um, it's going to be a one of 10 and we're going to NFT it as well. So Holy schmoly. Yeah. Um, that's on the way. Um, and I also met uh, Ari Shafar on um, Clubhouse and he is like the grandfather of what I do. Um, he created a shoe called the Newport 10s. Yep. Uh, it was based on the Air Force One and um he created a whole fucking uproar in the industry because he did it before it was acceptable to the market. And a lot of people was like, man, those some bootleg ass Air Force One <laughs> or whatever the fuck. And he actually got sued, not by Nike, but by Newport um, because they said he was marketing their products uh, to underage kids who couldn't um, smoke tobacco. And they did a whole big litigation with him and sued the fuck out of him and he's not even able to own a shoe that he created um anymore i guess that was the terms of uh you know the the resolution of the lawsuit and but his shoes uh now are worth ten thousand dollars wow so i met him and i talked to him and he's he encouraged me to keep going he's the real, real, real reason why i quit my job and said, I'm going to chase his dream. And I um, also met uh, the CEO of Nice Kicks. And we're about to do something with them as well, Matt Hatfield. So, yeah, man, Clubhouse and just being, uh, understanding the importance of collaboration and, and uh, letting, basically understanding that when you collaborate, you're putting yourself in a whole other demographic that you may not have touched. Um we getting orders from Japan, you know what I'm saying? And we've never been there. Don't know nobody there. So I think it's just once once something spreads and it catches and it becomes part of the culture, I think it it could do very well if you manage it right. Yeah, I mean understatement. 
I mean, all of this I find utterly fascinating, and you know that. Um, and I'm just, I'm just so curious because, to your point, this is a subculture, but this subculture is strong. And I've been deep diving, and I'm going to continue to. And I want to say something on this pod that you and I have uh, discussed. Yeah. For individuals that are buying bespoke suits, who are buying made-to-measure suits and garments overall, mm-hmm. these brands need to be not only explored, but they need to be purchased. Right. Because this is, in the sneaker world, correct me if I'm wrong, this is the true bespoke experience. Right. You know what's funny when you say bespoke? There used to be a program with Nike that just shut down this year that allowed you to do just that. It allowed you to pay a premium price for maybe an Air Force One or a Dunk, and you were able to kind of create um, your own version of that particular shoe, and Nike actually made it. So it was giving younger opportunity, younger designers opportunity to work with Nike um, authorized um, in a particular way, but you couldn't really, you know, take the shoe to market. That was the only thing about that. Oh. Yeah. So Nike had a program in New York. Uh, I believe it was in New York, but I think it was other places as well that you could go in, you could pay, I think it was like $600 to $1,000 and you could take a shoe and you can basically redo with any materials, um, way more advanced in their program, like a Nike ID. Or right, like right. I knew this was, I was like, yeah, this is not Nike ID. Was right. it called Nike Lab? Yeah, Nike, they changed it to Nike Lab, but uh, Bespoke is the uh, actual thing to where you can really fucking... Because there were even Nike designers that did the bespoke program. Because my friend David, he works for Nike. He did some things with them as well. So, yeah, man, it's already been. Nike just needs to fucking let people do what they do and capitalize and just partner instead of fucking trying to be the fucking have big dick energy, excuse me, and just like uh, try to control everything. You got to let people fucking put their interpretation on it. And if you were smart, you would monetize it instead of fight, fighting everybody. Mm. They need to, they need to hear you, bro. Man, there's so many people like me, man, that I'm just a fucking drop in the bucket, man. It's just, you know, they, they just have an energy to, they feel like they're the big bad wolf and nobody can't fuck with them. And I think they're starting to realize that they're going to lose a lot of market share because people are going to fucking do it themselves. We live in a do-it-yourself era. You know what I mean? Like, if you don't feel like you can find something in the market, somebody's going to create it. And would you rather work with that person or would you rather become in competition with that worker and they steal some of your market share? So that's the question I think Nike has to start asking herself. Um, because I think it's them in particular because, you know, look at look at all the creators that's worked for Nike. All the people that's worked for the Nike has either left or been fired because Nike doesn't see the value pass once they get your customers similar to what I do, but I continue to do collaborations with people that I did work with. Nike, it could be, yeah, they'll do one shoe with you, or it may sell well, but fuck you after that. And that's what happened to Jerry Lorenzo, Kanye, uh, Sean Weatherspoon, uh, Charles Barkley, Deion Sanders, like, I can, the list fucking goes on, so... It's been a problem at Nike, and I don't think they're really addressing that. 
and that's why you're seeing um, people fucking do their own thing. Yeah, that's why there are people like you. You may be one drop, but your drop is significant on this mic, so I'm happy to have you. I appreciate that. What's the top fashion tip you would give the everyday man so he could look his best, Sean? You said what? What's the top fashion tip you would give the everyday man so he could look his best? Wear whatever you feel is comfortable. Because um, even if you got the latest and greatest on, if you don't feel comfortable, you're going to see that through the person, right? So they could be Gucci down, Louis down, designer this, designer that, but there could be a motherfucker who went to a thrift store that looks better than you because they know how to put it together. So I think it's really about coordinating and really finding, um, finding, um, um, you know, what you're comfortable with and, and your boundaries in fashion. Makes sense. So what does always be fly mean to you? Um, I mean, shit, like it goes back to what's your interpretation of fly? Everybody's fly is different. I think just being true to yourself is the biggest thing. I think you could be flying fucking $20 clothes. You could be flying $600 clothes. You know what I'm saying? It's just what what are you trying to convey to your fashion? What, what personality traits are you trying to, like, everybody has their own interpretation. Because I, I, I distinctly remember that conversation where um, one of the customizers on the panel was talking about, oh, I would never wear a fucking shoe with Goku on it. Right, right. But um, I think if you into anime and your girl or whoever you're trying to pursue or dude or whoever uh, are trying to pursue into that, they might be more inclined to talk to you because of what you got on. You just have to be comfortable wearing that. You know what I'm saying? So I, I, I think, you know, people should just, you know, be them and stop trying to dress for what they think is cool or, you know what I mean? So... Just, just do you, man. Ultimately, just do you. Everybody's Make, not the same. Exactly. Makes sense. You know. King Sean Royale, fly with the colony. You already know. FWTC.shop is the website. If you want to um, check out the latest things that we got going on, um, everything is pretty much uploaded. And my IG is King Sean Royale, K-I-N-G. S-E-A-N Royal and uh, yeah you can check out I post more of you know the stuff that hasn't hit the site yet and um, stuff that we're just working on so you can kind of see the trajectory of our brand and and that's kind of like what I feel like I want to show I want to show the behind the scenes and the shit and educate people uh, who are trying to do this in a way so they can really understand what it takes to um, do what I did. So that's what's up. The Ridge Review. So I think if on one side you're willing to buy a pair of Air Force Ones and on the other a pair of Balloons, you should consider custom sneaker brands. They are entrepreneurs doing something radical in the sneaker space. They are designers and change makers. I'm willing to put my money down. Are you? 
Check out my IG live with King Sean Royale the week of May 24th. Well, that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you had fun and are down for another one. Please tell your friends about us and share an episode with them. Also, please tell them to subscribe. Please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Because when you do all those things, it helps us grow the show and helps our rating on Apple. A special shout goes to our producer, Search, and everyone down at the Fashion Keys. If you wake up in the morning and don't know what to wear and don't know how to coordinate the outfit without someone else's input, who maybe is a family member, then you probably need my help. Let me improve your look. Check me out at nyfashiongeek.com and email me at reg at nyfashiongeek.com for a consultation. Always be fly.